So this is the third talk in the Bodhisattva Vow series. And we covered beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Now on to delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. And the poem by Antonio Machado came to mind. Traveler, your footprints are the only road, nothing else. Traveler, your footprints are the only road, nothing else. Traveler, there is no road. You make your own path as you walk. As you walk, you make your own road. Traveler, there is no road. And when you look back, you see the path, you will never travel again. And when you look back, you see the path, you will never travel again. Traveler, there is no road. Traveler, there is no path, only a ship's wake on the sea. Antonio Machado. So the original, or let's say pre-North American translation of this vow was uh, desires are inexhaustible or desires are endless. And there was a lot of focus in Buddhism and still in some traditions on desirelessness as liberation. I remember encountering that as a teenager and finding that quite offensive. But that's not quite Zen, thankfully. So it was changed to delusions are inexhaustible because a delusion may be more comprehensive. A desire can be deluded but not all delusions are desires. So it's actually a little bit broader. I'll start by trying to give some kind of overview of what do we mean by delusions in, in the practice. Uh, first, projections. And somebody told me this phrase I really liked, superimpositions that we superimpose things with our mind on top of what's actually there. The whole mistaking a rope for a snake, or actually you can mistake a snake for a rope. And projections, one way you can catch them is intense attraction and aversion is often superimposition when we're really excited about someone or something, maybe we could stop and say, this might be a superimposition. Maybe it's not, but... So projections, superimpositions, we are, in a way, not seeing what's actually there. My deepest imprint of this in myself was after I broke up with my first love, and I was so heartbroken, I once projected seeing her face on another woman so intensely that I called her name out. And she was about maybe five or six feet from me. And I called her name. And I said, Aya. And it wasn't until I really focused my vision that I saw it wasn't her. My longing had actually 
shaped her face to what I wanted it to be. It's a really strong example, but it's a true, it was, it was my experience. And it showed me how powerful projection is and, and uh, desire. So that's one category of delusion. Another is assumptions and beliefs. And we don't know we have an assumption until we see them in contrast to how someone else sees. Assumptions are like sleeper cells in our own consciousness. We don't know they're there until we're hurt by them. We don't know they're there until we're betrayed by our own hidden belief. And usually someone else's disagreement or different way of seeing can, can reveal that to us. We could go as far to say any position we cling to is a delusion. Any position, even if it was, if it's relatively true, if we cling to it, it becomes absolutely false. There's a Japanese saying, I forget the Japanese word for it, but something like a, a wood board man, they call it. And they say that human beings are like the wood board man that we're carrying a, I don't know how many can see me and what I'm doing with my hands. Like you're carrying a board, right? And you have it on your shoulder and you can only see what's on your, on one side of the board and what's on the other side of the board, you can't see it. And that's something like clinging to a position. You just can't, you can't even imagine that someone else could be right or, or that a view other than your own could be right because you don't put down the board. So sometimes the old teachers would say a, a person of awakening is, is free from right and wrong. Not meaning that they're unethical, but they're free from it, free within it. So any position clung to or any belief that we carry and we don't see would fall into the category of a, one of those inexhaustible delusions. Then related um, is designations and labels. And it's kind of basically saying the thought is not the thing. The label is not the direct experience. The thought is not the thing. When you are th thinking about that person or that experience or whatever it may be, the thought is not the thing. There's, in a way, almost no correlation between the thought and the thing. The label is not the direct experience. But we are so mental, we often confuse those. I'm not having a really good example come to me of, of how we confuse those. Maybe somebody will have one later. Now, the name we have for something and the direct texture of it are not just different, because we know a thought is not a piece of bread, but the actual valence of them, the, 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 so much gets bound up in the concept emotionally. The concept gets emotionally charged 
and becomes its own thing. That's what I'm trying to say. The thought takes on a life of its own and gathers its own uh, emotional content and we invest in it. And then we encounter the thing and we're like, wait a second, there's a discrepancy here. And it's very distressing. It's really no fun. So I say we, um, uh, Example of this for me is when I get too excited about something, I kind of drain the life out of the experience or I set myself up for disappointment. Right? We, can we can train to not be disappointed anymore. That's Zen, to no longer be disappointed. Okay, and then we get a little bit more. I think there's something here about a maybe stages once we start to work through these things, then we get down to the belief in self. And belief in self is taken to be one of the prime delusions. Related to that is belief in permanence. When we talk about belief in self, we're we're talking about a belief that there is some something that's standing apart from the stream of time that I am enduring as life passes by. And I identify with that thing which is enduring and I feel like it gets impinged upon and is, is subject, is victim to life. That's belief in self. And then belief in impermanence Belief in permanence, the other delusion. I think we want to really love our lives and we want to live wholeheartedly and to do that and also really stay in contact with, oh, this is temporary is very hard to do. You know, you don't invest in a new relationship or a hobby and think, well, eventually this is going to become boring. You kind of put that thought aside while you invest in the person or the thing or the organization. But even the boredom is impermanent. And so we really have no reason to fear the perception of, of um, impermanence. We have no need to believe in permanence, but there's a lot of belief in permanence. It's also why we get surprised when the rug gets pulled out from under us. We believed that something was just going to continue the way it was. On a minute level, when we expose this delusion, we start to see life as like momentary passing. In the, in the Theravadan teachings, they name it a, a, an attainment of insight called arising and passing. That you begin to see each moment of existence, even maybe visual phenomena, you'll see it. That things are coming in and out of existence all the time. Like the universe is continually happening. So rather than a betrayal, that's actually a really cool thing. It's a really cool thing because then it, you got to get curious about where is it all coming from? What's the source of this arising and passing? So belief, belief impermanence, one of, one of the delusions. And then 
The last is belief in happiness coming from samsara is a delusion. Now this means something like without looking into my own heart or without working on my own consciousness or place I'm perceiving from, I'm going to find lasting happiness. That's the delusion being named. In other words, from a Buddhist point of view, if you do not work on your own heart, you will never find a durable happiness. And it's considered a delusion because we put much more energy into happiness coming from externals than we do into training the mind. So if we find lasting happiness in it, it's because our mind has, what, become less judgmental, more appreciative. It's become more acute. So the things we do experience, we get more richness out of them because we're more there. We have the ability to let things go. We're not creating as much disappointment. Or maybe we live with almost no expectation. So life, like when good stuff happens, it feels it's great. We're ha- we celebrate. And when bad stuff happens, we're not, we don't feel ambushed by it. That means we're not believing in, in samsara. And so we don't, we don't kind of poo-poo life, but we don't put too much on it. That's one of my favorite phrases. We can put too much on it. Whereas the teachings say, put as much as possible on training your own mind. Put as much enthusiasm as you can into understanding your own heart. That's, that's the best investment. And you test that out and see, is that, does that really feel true? Because that could become a dogma too, right? That takes me back. And everything I've said could become one of these dogmas where any position clung to is a delusion. So even if, if somebody says, oh, the only source to happiness is training your own mind, that's a delusion if it's presented as an absolute truth. So we have to be careful. Sometimes I think my drum set has made me so much more happy than Zen has. It's hard to say. So that's something of what delusion means. A a kind of hard, uh, hmm, a hard barometer of this is some teachers would say, if you're suffering, you're deluded. Like if you're experiencing suffering somewhere, there's delusion operating in your consciousness. But this koan says delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to exhaust them. So there's something we're invited into ending something unendable. And we can get past the, well, if it's unendable, I'm not even going to bother. Maybe that, maybe that would be a position you're going to take. Well, if it's not possible to become undiluted, why should I even try? Actually, there's a time in meditation where people sometimes feel like, well, I've been doing this for 15 years and I'm clearly still deluded. This doesn't work. Somebody give me my time back. It's a good place to be, actually. It's a good place to be when you're kind of, you know, cursing, cursing the Buddha for fooling you right? 
But delusions are inexhaustible because the mind never stops being an open field of creativity. If we believe there's something as an awakened state that's permanent, that's a belief in permanence. Or if we believe there is a self which is no longer deluded, that would be two things. That would be a self and that would be permanence. So awareness is open creativity and it's not cut off from the world. So delusion could always arise. You can't exhaust it. No bit of fertile earth ever is without the possibility of weeds arising. It's only dead ground that a weed can't arise in. And I think of uh, poppies coming up through the sidewalk. Something that seems so firm and solid and yet there's a beautiful weed. Some would call it a weed that pops up. So this is really a, a Zen perspective on this. There could be somebody listening to this talk, maybe in the future, who says, that's not Buddhism. Of course you can end delusions. That's the whole point of the path. You end them and then you no longer suffer. But we're or lineage style is to be more interested in a lifestyle of exposing delusions or a lifestyle of bowing to the magnitude of confusion. And it becomes kind of fun. It becomes kind of fun to move in and out of being uh, just our normal confused self and then this place of clarity. And maybe we end delusions and then they re-arise again. And we have, to, we have the meaningfulness of working on delusion. You have to think of this from the perspective of non-separation. You're not a capsule of consciousness. Or as you continue to practice, you become less and less a capsule of consciousness. Something interesting we encounter is we start to really work on our delusions and it feels good and we become more peaceful and we come to this point where we see that actually our drama is pretty interesting to us. Maybe we don't want to fully wake up. Maybe, maybe it's more interesting to be a little deluded than all the way wise and like spiritual. Sometimes being spiritual is not so fun. So there's some juice in, in being deluded. There's some uh, even distaste for actually really, really letting it go. Maybe we're not supposed to like ever be totally wise. Is there such a thing? I haven't met that person, but they exist in theory. Maybe we're not even supposed to be. Maybe that's some kind of hubris. This reminds me of the koan um, Kyosei's Raindrops. This is in the Blue Cliff record. And uh, Kyosei is a teacher and he asks one of his students, it's raining, and he asks the student, what's the sound outside the gate? And the student says, it's the sound of raindrops, teacher. And 
Kyosei, the teacher, says, um, people are upside down these days, deluded, chasing after things. People are upside down, deluded, chasing after things. And so the student says, well, what about you, master? And he says, I'm almost not deluded. Then maybe that's a really good way to think of anybody with any kind of position of power or authority, especially spiritual authority. They're almost not deluded. If we're, if we're going to have some assumption about them, they're almost not. At least that's what Kyosei said. I all, another translation is, I almost don't fool myself. But before this kind of slips into that, anything goes in, I'm fine as I am, error. Let's appreciate that we can clean up our particular bundle of consciousness. And we can make it more congruent and more honest and more present and more awake and more compassionate and less superficial. Whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, if you pay attention to that stuff, you look out and you wish other people were doing that. I would love for the Senate to have to do a day-long retreat before they make an important decision. Wouldn't that be sanity for the people who make decisions that affect the lives of millions to have to stop and clear their minds to think about something? It's insane that they don't. It's insane that we don't ask that of them. So I know that I want those who are influential to be congruent, honest, present, awake, compassionate, and less superficial. And so whatever I want for other people, I definitely want for myself. So part of this vow is I vow to practice so that I'm contributing less to the mass of human confusion. At least I can do that. At least I can do that. I'm not saying that's sufficient. I'm not making a commentary on quietism. Well, at least I can do that. And that is something. Because delusions, people act from them and cause problems. A basic, a basic practice around um, delusion that aversion to us comes from Byron Katie is just to ask, is this thought true? I don't know. Some of you may be hearing this in other ZCO uh, teachings. I don't emphasize it so much, but whenever a thought has such charge that you begin to feel unhappy or anxious or suffering, you could stop and just ask if it's true and ask if you know for a fact that this perception is accurate. And see what happens. So much. I think delusion would get let go of if, if, if humankind did that. Is this true? Do I know for a fact? So some people interpret this second vow as vowing to be a beacon of truth. And as I wrote that, my spell check made it say a bacon of truth. Vowing to be a bacon of truth. I really liked that better than a beacon of truth, but 
vowing to have enough perspective on delusion that we can help others work with it. And so we can see how this, this second vow and the first one, excuse me, are different ways of saying the same thing. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Well, how will I do that? Well, one way is to work on delusion. There is a saying that you find in the Chinese teachings that things like um, the delusions are enlightenment or the kleshas are bodhi. Klesas is the technical term for emotional affliction. The afflictions are enlightenment. And from that perspective, maybe we shouldn't end delusion. Because very often, suffering and growth are really related. Or maybe there's no such thing even as delusion without wisdom and vice versa. So we have more chance of, of understanding what it is to be human the more we make mistakes. Right? There's a saying that people who just immediately have like an awakening experience shouldn't be teachers because they don't know the struggle of the path. In other words, only those who really struggle in the human condition have something to really, really something to offer. It's, it's from our struggles, from being foolish, that we come out with some kind of gold to, to share. So we take pause about like making delusion this enemy that we're going to overcome. The clashes are bodhi. So that's where I want to end today.